We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we begin the show, I want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... team I'm going to go to is is going to be the Buffalo Bills. And these are teams, by the way, that I'm mentioning that I believe are, are a player or two away from going to the Super Bowl. And what I saw in that AFC Championship game was a Buffalo Bills defense that simply was unable to do what the Bucs did, and that's get to the, the quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. I know they need to settle their uh, right tackle situation, um, it, it, certainly with Daryl Williams, and fortify their run game. But I'm going to the defense in this pool of edge rushers out there. I think Trey Hendrickson, who is coming off a 13 and a half sack season with the New Orleans Saints and just came alive this year. He's young, he's 26 like Leonard Williams. I think he would be a fantastic addition to Buffalo. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rockwell Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Stacey Dales from NFL Network on the Bills being aggressive in free agency on the defensive side of the football. Chris, 
We have reached the point. The dominoes have fallen. We talked about it in our last podcast that aired yesterday. Now we can start talking about free agency. And so this is the time to have this pre-free agency state of the roster and look at the market opportunities that exist. And we start with the defensive side of the football. The Buffalo Bills are entering a season where they're predicted by some, based on them having the largest amount of continuity between front office, coaching staff, and key roster pieces of any contender in the AFC, and they're kind of historic 20 season falling just one game short of the big show, as prohibitive favorites to represent the Bills in the Super Bowl this year. Represent the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. What do you say to that? Like, it's possible. I mean, we made it. This isn't eight. Nate. Hey, and also, this isn't Michael Robinson. This isn't one of those things that we make a montage out of. Like, I picked the Bills to win the. <laughs> what, what were we, five years in a row? Uh, I think four or five. It's like, don't, like, you can't. Every like, year you just pick the yeah. Bills. You're like, I'm going to be that guy that picks the Bills that finally. And then when they do, it's like, hey, look at me. <laughs> no, you asshole. You've been doing it the four out of five years. We know what you've been doing. Now everyone's doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who look at the Buffalo Bills and say, hey, these guys are prohibitive favorites. One game away from the Super Bowl. We're we're almost there. Now, last week, Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Rumblings, the Bruce exclusive, joined us for maybe the smartest, most intelligent bit of podcasting I've done in a while. Chris, I don't know that I've ever sounded as intelligent as I did last week. You didn't. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) We took an in-depth look at the storylines that would have to be resolved before both fans and the teams involved in free agency would know how to turn its sights to the market. Well, one of those big stumbling blocks just got removed. And I think, in a way, it almost answered the second one. We're not franchising franchising anybody. So, with that in mind, over the next few weeks as we ramp up towards the kickoff of signing day... We're going to take a look at the state of our roster to see if we can't preemptively lay the groundwork for where their needs might be. I mean, there are some sneaky ones out there and some roster trends that might make fans rethink some of their things on their own personal wish lists. How they view the team, how they view the way we approach the offseason. Tonight, we're going to bring back one of our original guests, one of the very first guests for the Rockball Report. And... Host, co-host of a very successful podcast. I couldn't be happier about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so with that, I'm going to crack a fresh beer and welcome back Mr. Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate. How are you doing tonight, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're a busy, busy guy. For those of you who have been living under a rock, Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate and NewYorkUp.com, longtime Bills beat reporter and football writer. Chris, what was the first website? I remember he was it's like he was, BuffaloFootballReport.com. You're, I mean, Ryan, oh, Talbot was I, Talbot was the first uh, like actual guest guest that we had on that like was not one of our friends. <laughs> And by one of our friends, That's I mean awesome. one of your friends. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, you're a, you're kind of the uh, OG for us. You're the OG of Rock Pile Report guests. Um, and you're half of the Shout podcast. Which has a great intro. <laughs> Outstanding <weird>. intro. <laughs> Chris loves patting himself on the back for... <laughs> like Barry Horwitz. At some point... <laughs> It's the New York Upstate podcast and YouTube show, and it's really taken off in its first year and change here. I mean, how how is that going for you guys over there so far? Yeah, it's been really exciting. It's been a lot of fun. Like you said, it's, it's kind of taken off. We've had some outstanding guests on the show, uh, you know, some some local media, obviously, but then national media. We've had some uh, former players on the show and then obviously um, so, some outreach from the ufc because that's where matt obviously came from we were able to get lucky enough to get dana white on the show uh that was really cool that was kind of surreal because a lot of people were like how did these guys get dana white on the show because (laughs) you know dana dana does limited press in terms of podcasts and things like that so that was really cool uh ariel helani uh chad michael murray a lot of you know celebrity bills fans so it's been awesome, though. We've had a really good time with it. Well, it, it was always funny to me because doing shows with you and doing shows with Perino, it always just seemed to me like you two would be awesome at this if you ever just did it. And I would I, I'd tell him that when he was sitting here doing a podcast with us. Like he just, and he's like, well, we got to talk about it. I said, don't talk about it anymore. Just go do it. Just go do the thing, and I bet you it'll work out. I love the fact that you guys are absolutely killing it. I love it. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot. And, you know, Matt has that background in, in video and all of this. So he he has been the, uh, the the captain of the show, so to speak. I'm just happy to be along for the ride. So for 2020 and your coverage of that, how much fun was this last season? Yeah, you know, from a, a coverage standpoint, in terms of seeing a team that went all the way to the AFC championship, it was outstanding. Uh, the fact that it happened during a global pandemic when you couldn't really travel anywhere and you go anywhere and you're doing everything over Zoom, that made things a little more interesting. Uh, you know, for me, I'm about an hour, hour and a half out of Buffalo, so it wasn't the worst thing in the world to have these Zooms to be able to connect with the players, the coaches on, on a daily basis. But at the same time, uh, those long form stories, those one on one questions that you want to have with a player you couldn't do that this year unless you obviously requested them separately and and wanted to have some separate time there because everything that's asked over zoom everyone can hear everyone's getting the same answer so you definitely had to get creative in terms of of your responses and uh you know what you want what angle you wanted to take man I, i i told both you and well now you and i've told matt this before this year had to be incredibly hard 
from just a coverage standpoint because you don't have the locker room access. You don't have a lot of the things just as a as a as someone who produces journalism, multimedia journalist, I think is now the title. I mean, when I went to school for journalism, it was just journalism. It's turned into MMJs and now knowing how to do that, but then this pandemic shutting down access, physical access to all these things. It, the job is so hard, but you guys absolutely crushed it in your first year with this podcast and with all the writing you guys have done. I mean, New York Upstate has really, I think it carries a lot of weight, in the, at least in the, especially in the community among Bills fans. It really has. And you guys are, you guys are year after, for that. Year after year is getting more credibility and it's oh, moving up the rankings. 100%. And I like the fact that now when you listen to these meetings and these press conferences, I can start to pick out when it's Perino asking a question. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, that was his. You hear some questions that make you scratch your head. You, know, you hear those. Everyone has them. I just like the fact that you guys have really kind of taken off with everything you have going on over there. Now, last year you joined us for this same type of show where we talk about free agency and the state of the roster. And that's why I, 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 I had so much fun doing it. And I, I think it's just a good back and forth to have with somebody who does what you do. I wanted to, bring, wanted to run it back. So taking a look at the defensive side of the football for the Buffalo Bills, we're currently 20th in the NFL in terms of the number of players we have signed with 54. And neatly enough, it's split almost right down the middle in terms of offense and defense. But when you look at the total numbers in terms of what we're spending, things couldn't be any more different. We currently have $105 million invested on defense, which is 55% of our cap space. That's fourth in the entire NFL in current defensive spending. Knowing what you know about our defense and their performance in 2020, does that, hearing that surprise you at all? No, it, it doesn't surprise me just because the Bills did go out and they, they spent a good amount of money on some players. Uh, I don't want to say they had to overspend still, but they, I think they did have to go a little bit above and beyond to maybe convince some players to come here still going into 2020. Then you obviously lock down a player like Trey White. That takes a lot of your money that you, you have on that side of the ball. Um, so I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm shocked, just especially after how much money they paid Mario Addison and how much of what at one point they signed Trent Murphy to a deal and the list goes on and on obviously started with Tula Lay in it when they first signed him in 2017 uh, for, for what he was getting it looked like a lot of, of money so they're they've always been trying to address the defense it just doesn't seem like it's paid off in, in terms of where they were at this season uh, what we saw from them the pressure on the quarterback uh, the money they're spending, they're not getting a, a solid return on that investment. Oh, absolutely not. And I mean, I think that, and I think that's what makes an exercise like this so interesting is that there's a lot of turnover about to take place in both the free agency period and a draft for it to take place in. I mean, the defense we fielded in 2020 was the probably, Chris, am I remiss in saying this, the weakest Sean McDermott has had since he's been here in Buffalo? Most likely. So it's going to see some changes. There's going to be some. It's going to be some movement, and it's interesting to take a look, kind of piece by piece, at the defense and try to forecast where it might come. That's why we're going to start talking about the defensive line because I feel like this is where a lot of our focus is going to be this off season. We currently have 13 players signed on the defensive line. Out of that group, you could probably call six of them starters. I mean, I know they love to platoon their guys. There really wasn't. They keep everybody on their defensive line right around 50 to 60% of your snap percentage. Nobody sees 
like we talked about it in our show that aired earlier this morning. Um, J.J. Watt played 1,000 snaps. I mean, maybe you saw that in the chart that I sent you, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But J.J. Watt played 1,000 snaps last year. Nobody on a Buffalo Bills defense is getting that many. They just don't believe in operating like that as a team. So I'd call six of these guys starters. Cap percentage, 29.2% of our total cap is allocated to the D-line, which is third in the NFL in spending there. And there's four guys who are on the roster bubble. Now, this might be the biggest pain point of the entire roster just based on the money that's there and the importance that it holds. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and first of all, that spreadsheet you sent me is just unbelievable uh, in, in its detail. Outstanding. I mean, I was, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet. I'm like, oh, OK. And then I look at it. I'm looking at the breakdown. I'm like, unbelievable. All the detail you put into that. Uh you know, and I don't want to delve too much into J.J. Watt, but that was one reason I thought that he would have been a tremendous fit in Buffalo. I thought that that would have helped prolong his career. The fact that he wouldn't have had to play 1,000 snaps, <laughs> the fact that that would have been cut down significantly, and he could have been a part of that rotation, been fresher late in games, been able to uh, take on double teams and have even more success than he had one year ago. Uh, but, you know, that being said could be a blessing in disguise that they did not end up signing him especially when you look at the guaranteed money that he was able to receive from arizona you can possibly get younger at that position which uh, i i think long term that's the, the one thing that the bill should be looking for someone that can be an impact player for you long term where what locker room wise character wise uh helping bring along aj epineza all those reasons would have been great in the short term but you were still you were still talking about a two to three year window with JJ Watt, where some of these younger guys could be here long term. It's like that opportunity cost we were talking about with uh, Bruce Nolan. See, I think when you, when you look at what we have on hand, this group on the defensive line for the Buffalo Bills right now under contract features multiple players who, and I'm going to try to put this as nicely as possible, are the worst production to cost values on the whole roster which is the danger in signing a J.J. Watt at $16 million. I mean, it was the danger of having a Mario Williams on your roster at, what, what was he making, $12 million a year? And at the time, he was the highest-paid defensive player in the league. It's the danger of going out. Chris brought up his name during our J.J. Watt show. Mark Anderson. Do you remember him? I do remember Mark Anderson. He was supposed to be the other uh, missing piece on the D-line after they signed Mario and... Uh, he didn't last very long. Oh, he was missing. He was missing from career. the football field. He should put him on a milk yeah. carton. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he came off a 10-sack season, and I think he I think he only played 18 games. He never registered a sack, and then he left town. And that was it. But we spent $10-plus $10 million guaranteed on that move. And you look around and go, well, we just wasted a ton of money for no production. When you look at the D-line, we had two defensive ends who had a more than a $9 million cap hit who finished with fewer quarterback pressures and sacks than A.J. Klein. <laughs> Addison, it's concerning. <laughs> yeah. You had two defensive tackles making more than $7 million in cap space, who combined for just 13 pressures, three sacks, and eight tackles for loss. That's not good. They were the NFL's number one team in terms of defensive line spending, but were underwhelming in multiple categories. They had no pass rushers inside the NFL's top 58 for sacks, they were 22nd in pressure percentage. That You can't spend that type of money and get that in return, right? 
Right. Absolutely right. So it wouldn't it would make sense then to think the Bills are going to take a wrecking ball to this, I'm pretty sure, because they're not going to stand pat and just pay for a redo of what we saw last season. Not, no, ab- absolutely. At least not if they want to make good on our championship aspirations. How important is it to you that we have a GM who, even if he doesn't always hit a home run in free agency, like like with last year's class, while letting Lawson walk and watching him go flourish in Miami while some of your the guys you signed kind of floundered a little bit, that he's incredibly savvy in terms – that you have a GM like Bean in terms of how he constructs these contracts so that they're still favorable to the team. Yeah, it's outstanding. So, you know, a four-year deal is usually really a two-year deal because you have an out shortly thereafter. Some of these two-year deals, three-year deals are a one-year deal where you have an out afterwards. So he, he constructs these contracts extremely well. Um, although I will say on the D line, um, you know, getting rid of a Mario Addison, for instance, there's more dead cap there than I think they would like. Uh, that said, if JJ Watt would have come to Buffalo, Addison would have been right out the door. That would have been one of the corresponding moves. And you would have had to live with that. Usually he, he protects himself pretty well in that area. I think that just getting him in the door, Addison, that is last year, uh, maybe you built that contract a little bit differently than you would for most players. But you're, you're right. He sticks to a price point with these players, uh, Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, both of them. He probably had a value in mind for each player. I know that, I know there was an offer out there for Shaq Lawson. Lawson it said as much, but he said there was more money on the table in Miami. So Brendan Bean's not going to come back and say, oh, they're offering you this much? Okay, I'll, I'll raise my offer. He's going to stick with his offer. They have an idea of what a player is valued at. And they stick with it. So for better or worse, you know, that that is one really good thing about Brendan Bean in terms of uh, how he builds this roster. And then in terms of the construction of the contracts, he does a very good job of having those outs uh, when needed. Now, I'm forecasting multiple cuts to this position group. I'm thinking to myself, the Vernon Butler. I mean, he Vernon Butler is kind of a no brainer just because of a his cost in terms of lack of dead cap compared to sell cap hit. Um, I think that's a no-brainer for a team that needs cash. Plus, he's kind of redundant with Star Latulale coming back. I mean, as long as Star can prove that he's in game shape, I think that he is going to... Vernon Butler loses his role as a one-tech. You're looking at a guy like Quentin Jefferson who was just a face. He was just out there. You didn't really see any flash from him. If you needed cash, he's a guy that you could see them sacrificing if they were going to go... pursue a high-end defensive end prospect, right? Who else yeah. do you foresee uh, them moving on from? Well, Ver- I agree Vernon Butler, first and foremost, is the easiest choice on that defensive line. Um, didn't really show much despite coming over. You know, that, that's one thing I want to touch upon real quick. Eric Washington's is a defensive line coach. He was in Carolina as the defensive line coach and the defensive coordinator for many years. So a lot of these players that he had uh, – I thought that you would see a little bit more production because this was not a typical year by any means, but Vernon Butler knows Eric Washington's system. Mario Addison knows that system, knows what he expects. So even without the offseason, even without you know getting together with these guys, meshing and knowing them well, I thought we'd see more from both players, and both were coming off of uh, pretty disappointing years. But Vernon Butler, first and foremost, I, th- I think is out the door. Uh, I think Mario Addison is actually second in, on that list. I think that they're going to try to find someone that can be an impact defensive end. I think for that reason, Addison ends up being kind of a one and done. There's a little more 
Uh, dead cap there, like I said, I think it's like four or four and a half million, somewhere in that range, uh, if you do get rid of him. So I think he's out the door. And, and then I, I will say this uh, in, in terms of Quentin Jefferson. I wouldn't be shocked if they cut him and then brought him back at a reduced price. Said, listen, go out there, test the market. We think you're you're worth $5 million, not $8 million. Um, so go out there, test the market. If someone offers you more, you know, good luck to you, but here's our offer. We, we would love to have you back. Bring a guy like that back for $3 million less. You're not going to have to worry much about the dead cap in that spot either. Uh, I think he was playing out of position more than any of those three players because they had to make up for that star Latula. So he was playing a little bit of one tech uh, where I thought his best fit after they signed him was rotating with that Oliver at the three tech, which he did do. And then playing a little bit off the edge, believe it or not, where you could get some uh, pass fresh pressure. So of those three, I think that you could at least bring Jefferson back, but you, you cut him first so that way you can bring him back at a reduced salary. That's interesting. I didn't even give that any credit. Like, I never thought of that, Chris. That, I just assumed Quentin Jefferson was a goner. I guess maybe that makes sense. Um, Chris, how likely is this team to re-sign Trent Murphy? <laughs> Uh, zero chance. I'll throw you a softball, Chris. How likely is <laughs> Zero it? chance. I like that even you know that. I love it. So when we take a look at the market, because the defensive line is where I think the team is going to do a lot of their heavy lifting this offseason, on the defensive side of the ball anyway in free agency. As I mentioned in our last show, pass rushers picked the worst year to flood the market with talent. <laughs> but here we are. The year that there's probably more pass rushing talent available than I've seen in one shot is the year the salary cap fell for the first time in 20 years. You can't write this stuff. It's <laughs> So that's where we go to the chart that I sent you. I mean, this free agent market is rife with pass rush talent, both for 4-3 and 3-4 defenses. Now, for anybody out there in Bill's Mafia who wants to know what it is Ryan and I are looking at, just email me, rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. I'll send you the chart. I make these things to kind of placate my own sickness for data analysis. That's it. That's all it is. So looking at this table, on its face, there's a couple interesting data points. One of the first ones is that J.J. Watt, with his 1,013 snaps, was 300 more than the next closest player, which is an insane amount of wear and tear on a 32-year-old man with an injury history's body. Also, if you break it down by number of snaps per disruptive play, which I qualify as sacks, pressures, or tackles for loss, there are nine defensive ends who averaged one every 15 snaps. Seven of those guys are under the age of 28. I mean, Ryan, that's really solid per snap production from a young group of players, right? Oh, absolutely. And there's some great guys to keep an eye on. Obviously, we have to wait and see if any of them get uh, tagged by their teams. I think Carl Lawson, unfortunately, is someone that could get that franchise tag in Cincinnati. Um, a lot of Bengals fans, at least, believe that's the case, too. So wait and see there. But th there are some young guys that seem to be on the rise in, in terms of they're playing. They're coming off of maybe a career year and the best is still yet to come. So these are the types of players you'd like to see the Bills target. You can definitely get someone like that cheaper. Uh, than what you would get a J.J. Watt, what you might get a Yannick Ndokwe, who's, again, he's a younger guy. He's only 26, but name value is there. Uh, Shaquille Barrett's going to get a lot of money in free agency. So you're trying to find that sweet spot between uh, a younger player who has upside and isn't going to break the bank. 
Well, and that's one of the key mechanics of the chart I sent you because there's some things that I look at. Like, okay, when I when I when I do these calculations, you look at a guy like Jadavian Clowney. He's a perfect example of this. He carried that name value and he got paid $13 million. But he made just one disruptive play for every 28 and a half snaps. 28 and a half by comparison to guys who were doing it every 15. And he finished with no sacks. Like that right there is a horrible value for the Tennessee Titans. And I think it kind of, I mean, people question why was their defense so bad? Well, I think they sank a lot of money into some of the wrong places. This is one of those investments that you're making based on name, based on name, based on some previous accolades. But the statistics bear out year over year, if you go back through Clowney's career, that his disruptive play per snaps over the course of his career really hasn't bore out. And the Titans paid the price for it last year. Literally and both figuratively and literally. Yeah, you you know, we were talking about the Bills not getting much value out of the money that they spent in their defensive line. But, you know, look at the poor Titans. Not only Jadavion and Clowney, but uh, Vic Beasley as well. And and those two were just absolutely horrendous last year for Tennessee after shelling out big money. Vic didn't Uh, even play. Vic never played. No, he was released at some point um, by the team, but... You know, both were just completely underwhelming, name value guys. And you're right, that's what you have to avoid at this point. Now, if the Bills go out and sign a guy with name value, there's going to be a lot of excitement. I get that. And if they go out and they sign someone like a Dwayne Smoot, people are going to be Googling Dwayne Smoot uh, because a lot of those fans aren't, you know, they're not up to date on, on this Jacksonville Jaguars player who probably fits in that upside category, a guy that is playing good ball but not any name value. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, he but what was it? 665 snaps, which was almost 60% of his team's defensive snaps, finished with six sacks, 31 pressures, five tackles for loss. I mean, when you look at that, everything seems like it's trending in the right direction for that guy, and no one knows who, knows who the hell he is. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's the other thing. You know, in free agency, when, when you sign some of these players, you sign some of these names – the excitement's only there in name value, and they might not produce as you expect. So, uh, you, you know, don't go killing the Bills or any other team for that matter, Who you know, whoever you support if you're listening to this and you're not a Bills fan, um, just because it's not a name. You might get someone that these pro personnel departments have done their due diligence on. I'm a big Romeo Aquara fan. I think he's a guy that's playing some of his best football. Young guy, kind of hidden in Detroit last year despite having 10 sacks on the year. Uh, that is playing some of his best ball right now. So you can get an Aquara, you can get a Carl Lawson, a, a Smoot. These players that are in that 26-year-old range uh, that don't have a Yannick Ndokwe name or the J.J. Watt type name, even a Trey Hendrickson. Hendrickson is a, a hot name right now in free agency. And, and part of me, and, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've sat down and watched every one of his snaps from 2020, but the ones that I did see, I saw a lot of the his teammates – Clearing the pocket, moving the pocket, and he benefited from that. Now, oh, 100%. Small sample size, absolutely. And this is where the that data worries. that I sent you in that chart, the data I sent you in that chart, this is why it's important. I call it the Kyler Fackrell phenomenon because he's the one who keyed this all in my head for me. And unfortunately, his name will forever be tied to it as I do this type of calculation. <sighs> 
Kyler Fackrell was a player for the Green Bay who, when he was drafted, people, there were some Bills fans who were like, oh, we liked him as a linebacker and a potential pass rusher, and bah, 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 the Bills should have gotten him. And that talk got really loud back in his third year, 2018, when he posted 10 and a half sacks. And everyone goes, see, we could have had him instead of insert player name here. But when you dig into the numbers, and this is why I think this is important, Kyler Fackrell had 10 and a half sacks in 2018. He only had 18 total quarterback pressures. His conversion of those pressures into sacks was absurd. And it's not sustainable. I mean, to put that, like I put the footnote in the chart that I sent you, to put that into perspective, you're talking about a conversion rate that's way beyond what's what's sustainable. And this year's version of that is Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson had 13 and a half sacks. Okay? His pressure to sack ratio was 41%. That means 41% of the time when he pressured the quarterback and ended in a sack. Now, do you believe TJ Watt's a good pass rusher? TJ Watt? Yeah. yeah. Okay. TJ Watt, <laughs> 15 sacks, 61 pressures. That's a conversion of 24.5%. That's actually one of the. <laughs> He gets more pressures than anybody, and his teammates, if he's not, where he benefits, the team benefits, is because he generates 61 pressures. So other people can clean up his mess, even if he doesn't get home. But he still managed 15 sacks. 24 and a half is a great metric when you're looking at those numbers because he's being disruptive. Uh, Trey Hendrickson had 41%. 41%. What that means is that... <laughs> He's not going to continue. And when you look back at Trey Hendrickson's previous seasons, he had just a 26.4% pressure to sack ratio. Playing with a guy like Cam Jordan, who we can all agree is probably one of the NFL's best defensive ends, right? Right. A lot of talent around him during these last few seasons, no doubt about that. So with that in mind, he this is a guy who primarily up until this season has had to in order to post good defensive end sack to pressure ratio, needed another elite talent on the field with him in order to generate it. So if you go out there in free agency and you pay him like he's your de facto defensive end number one, going to come in and be the straw that stirs the drink, you're taking a massive gamble, a Mark Anderson-sized gamble, if you're that team. That's why I feel like looking at these metrics, I'm sure teams are doing it. (laughs) That's why this information is important. And I think that guys like that are the thing you want to try to avoid. That's why guys like Carl Lawson could be franchise tagged, because they're so consistent from one year to the next. Yeah, consistency is key. That's what you're looking for. Like you said, there's going to be those outliers. There's going to be those seasons where the the pressures jump off the page, uh, the sacks jump off the page. But you have to look at the why. Why is this happening? And is it because of something that they've done? Have they evolved as a player? Uh, Is it part of their natural progression as a player? Or is it the players around them? And I feel like it's the latter with with Hendrickson. Uh, So he is a player that comes with a lot of risk. If saw in 2020, he he can do on his own or being the guy on a defensive line. Uh, and when you look in Buffalo, you know, you know, Jerry Hughes still can get pressures. He can still get after the quarterback, but he's not a number one guy. You, no. you need someone that can be that. 
I'm just not sure Hendrickson can be. <laughs> and mind you, you, you are taking that risk with any of these younger players because you don't know what you're going to get on a year-to-year basis. You, you don't know if they're going to be getting better or if they're going to plateau at what you've seen uh, based on a system that they've been in for oh, a few seasons or if they're just the right scheme, right for, fit. For sure. So you, but, but, so you just said you were a Romeo Arquara fan, and this is where this mm-hmm. comparison gets interesting. So Romeo Arquara and Trey Hendrickson are both looked at in free agency as driving, according to Spotrack, at coming in around $10, $11 million a year. Now, obviously, that's going to increase a little bit with the Watt signing. But when you look at that, Aquara had fewer sacks. He had just as many pressures, though. He played more snaps, had more tackles for loss. And when you come down to it and you look at it, he has, over the last few years, a snap per disruptive play rate that's not only sustainable, like it's been sustained year over year. He didn't have this dramatic spike that Hendrickson did, but... His is one of the lowest of any player not over the age of 30. That makes him almost a better value to a team out there hunting for a defensive end. And yet I haven't heard a single Bills fan pounding the table for Romeo Arquara, which is it's funny to do these sorts of exercises and really dig into the numbers because that's what teams are doing right now. And then if we can talk about the makeup of the market, I mean, we can talk about calculations all night long because I'm a nerd about football. When you look at the makeup of the market, there is going to be young talent available. Chris pointed it out. Of the top 17 options for free agency this year, 14 of them are less than 30 years old. Of those, only three of them played on a second contract this season. So that means there's 11 young defensive ends all chomping at the bit for their first big contract. And while not all players are created equal, it's like the housing market. The more options you have available, the better it is for the potential buyer. I mean, the, the average that that top 17 group made was $6 million last year. So when you take out the high-end guys and you look at guys who are younger, there's an interesting group of under-the-radar talents out there that would occupy the middle ground, which a couple guys who I'm going to bring up, and you mentioned one of them, uh, Smoot. There's 11 players in this class that will be under 29 when the 21 season starts. Of those guys, seven of them weren't starters for all the games they dressed for. But of that group of seven, their average salary was about $4 million, which includes Ngakwe, Solomon Thomas, and Leonard Williams. If you take them out, the rest of the guys in the field weren't making more than $1.6 million on average. So these are guys who aren't going to be looking for market-setting contracts. They're, just, they're kind of like the guy, Chris, you ever work on a group project? Or maybe, Ryan, you've run into this where you work on a group project, and it goes well. And then you have the guys who are just happy to be there. Like, they didn't contribute a ton. They did a little bit. And they're just like, hey, guys, I'm just happy to be included in this conversation. Yep, absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a handful of those guys out there who could still be productive, and they're not trying to set the market. They're just happy to be here. Those players, the non-starters, not even making first-round draft pick money, and now leaning into free agency, they average 6.2 sacks. So there's production there that you might not have to spend for a ton. So simply put, the defensive end market this year is like Home Depot. You can find literally almost anything you'd want regardless of what your needs are. And maybe even some things you don't need, you just see them and think they look cool and you want to break the bank a little bit. I mean, don't tell me that you Ryan, that you haven't gone to Home Depot and spent a little more than you wanted to. Or come home with some stuff that your wife goes, why is this here? What did you... Well, 
it's usually the reverse of that, and I'm just like, you did not follow the shopping list whatsoever. But you know, I'm guilty of that from time to time too. I love that. I love uh, you know, it. I've I've been there for sure, for sure. But there's there's tears to this. But I'll say this has to be the most talent that's been on the defensive end market, or at least pass rusher market, in a while. I mean, I can't remember a class that had this much talent, and it sucks that it's happening at this time when the cap is falling. But that's going to be beneficial for teams like Buffalo. It could be. And there's going to be one or two players that are going to be sitting there for a while. And they're going to hit the the second tier of free agency. They might even hit the third tier. They might some might even wait until uh, there's an injury at a at a training camp. Some players will hold out that long trying to get the, the money that they want. But there's going to be one or two that are going to be chomping at the bit to prove themselves all over again. Kind of like what Jordan Phillips did in his last year in Buffalo, where he signed a really uh, team friendly deal before breaking out and and having that season that led to a ten million dollar contract with Arizona kind of like what we might see this year with Daryl Williams really affordable contract with Buffalo last year he could potentially be the highest paid right tackle in free agency depending on what happens with one or two of those players in the franchise tag um there's gonna be one or two of those types of players that are like listen I want to sign with a contender I'll sign a one-year deal and I'm going to try to cash in next year because I I missed the boat this year there are people that were were targeted ahead of me I'm going to prove myself all over again and those are the players that maybe the Bills can kind of swoop in and get because, you know, the cap's not favorable to them. If the, if the cap had gone up in a, in a year, uh, normal year to 210, 215 like they were anticipating, the Bills would be in good shape right now. They'd be able to make some of these moves, maybe get one of these premier pass rushers and part ways with one or two of the guys. Um, but that, that's not how it's going to work out. They, they still might be able to get a name here or, or a guy at, the, uh, at a little less than $10 million. But they could also get a bargain player, someone that sits out there longer than anticipated and just ends up wanting to join a contender. Oh, for sure. And that's what this is all about, is just trying to find value. So switching positions to what I think is almost the antithesis in terms of the market, we're going to talk about cornerbacks. We currently have four signed to the roster. We have three starters plus one, depending on what you think of Dane Jackson. Our cap percentage is 9.52, and I don't see any cuts to be made here from this group, which is nice. But i got to say, I'm kind of conflicted over the state of the group. I mean, on one hand, you've got an all-pro talented cornerback one. You've got an opportunistic slot cornerback in Teron Johnson who, can we say it? He he kind of saved our asses. (laughs) He kind of saved our asses in the postseason last year. I feel like you owe that guy. you got to put him in the best position possible. But that's what this team has done historically, especially with him. They, they seem to – we thrive when he's on the field. And I've heard people call for Saran Neal, which I don't know. Oh, we could do this and we could put Saran Neal in there. He needs more snaps. No, he doesn't. No, Saran Neal is more than fine with where he is. You've got a scheme-familiar player in Levi Wallace as your cornerback too and this highly praised sophomore player in Dane Jackson. And that is your team right now. On the other hand, I think there's some reasons for concern. First of all, the team has spent the last four years trying to settle the cornerback two job without coming across a long-term answer. I mean, you signed Philip Gaines and Vontae Davis, who didn't even make it a full season. <laughs> Josh Norman and Kevin Johnson were decent to solid, but kind of underwhelming. 
Kevin Johnson was probably the best, better value of the two, but he went out to market and found another contract and moved on. So we didn't keep him long term either. But the player playing opposite Trey White has finished top 10 in targets multiple times since Trey White came into the league. I mean, that's you. <laughs> that's what happens when you have an all pro player on one side of the field. People avoid him, which means the other people have to be able to carry the load or else everything falls apart. They're never not going to need a good cornerback for as long as Trey's on this team. Right, Ryan? Well, yeah. I mean, you have that number one guy, but they obviously would like to lock down that other position too, someone that's more dependable than a one-year uh, fix, someone that can really be a difference maker. Now, the, the problem for Buffalo is exactly what you said. There's a limited number of bodies on this roster first and foremost. Uh, two, you're rolling the dice if you're going to go with a rookie, whether it's first-round, second-round pick. Uh, same. Now, salary cap-wise, adding a rookie early makes a ton of sense because if you can find a capable number-two cornerback and have him on a rookie deal while Trey White's making big money, it, it works out beautifully for the Bills as they, they try to allocate their cap uh, in terms of how they spend. Same thing with the linebacker position. You know, this is the year to pounce on a linebacker if Matt Milano's leaving and you're going to be paying Edmonds big money soon. But at the same time, they've also gone to the veteran market every year, like you mentioned. It's, and I'm not going to sit here and say that the veteran market has been a failure for them. They've been able to get by every year. It has not been a success. They have not found a long-term answer. They have not found... Great results, but they've had capable play. I was butting heads uh, with Aaron Quinn from Cover One about this today. Success is a weird, fluid term. I think that if you don't keep the person you sign at that position, and if they get you by, great, wonderful, that worked. That's what I expect. I guess it's what your expectations are. If you survive a season with somebody signed as your cornerback two in free agency, who then leaves the team the following year, or isn't, or for some of these guys mid-season, here's the thing: if he pulls a Josh Norman, you sign a guy off the market, he stays with your team for the entire season, things go sort of well, not great, but not terrible. Okay. I expect – that's my baseline expectation. I expect that to go that way. If it ends up like Vontae Davis, which is one of the – still remains one of the oddities in football history. A guy retiring in the middle of a fucking game. Okay? Like that – that happened. Philip Gaines being so terrible that they said, screw it. We're going to throw an undrafted free agent rookie and Levi Wallace out there because, Philip, you suck. You're, you're awful. We, we can't see any more of you inside the city limits. You have to leave. They dismissed those two. Those are failures. That's an abject failure. Yes. I think that Josh Norman is the baseline for what my expectations are. Kevin Johnson is a slight step up from that because he did perform. Re- he performed really well. I mean, there, there was games where he steadied what we had at that position because Levi Wallace couldn't contend with the receiver in front of him. So with that in mind, if you're going back to Levi Wallace, the guy who, if he was good enough, you would have let him just take the job and run with it. And I understand mm-hmm. the praise for Dane Jackson, but he's a sophomore. You don't know what that limited sample size is going to yield if you actually try to stick him in a starter role. I see it from fans all the time on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Dane Jackson, he's going to be our cornerback too. He's so good. He, he, he stopped that one pass to Hopkins. Oh, he's the man. You can't think like that. 
And if you do, you end up like the Dolphins cutting Kyle Van Noy, hoping that Andrew Van Ginkle, after his rookie year, is good enough to take over that job. Because if he regresses back to what made him the draft pick, like I don't even think he was drafted. Was he in a UDFA? I don't even know. If you go, <laughs> if you bank on that and it doesn't work, you set your whole team back. I think they have to keep finding, looking for an answer here. But when you look at the market, this is not the year to try to do it in free agency, despite what most fans might think. There's 29 free agents who are over the age of 30. <laughs> this is the exact opposite of the defensive end market. I mean, where there's a nice middle ground of young players with potential long-term upside who you might get for a reasonable contract, even the young talents who are out there are already driving these huge price tags. I mean, Cam Sutton from Pittsburgh, Tennessee's Desmond King and uh, Seattle Shaq Griffin, all going to make more than $8 million a year. And then even the older players who you'd think one-year, two-year deal, Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson are both looking at 10 10 million per year? This is chaos. You can't keep doing this. I mean, at some point, I think you have to go to the draft and really try to find that answer. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I do. And if you Melifawanu is a Syracuse cornerback that the Bills have shown a little bit of interest in, uh, he could be maybe a day two option for this team. At the same time, you do have to protect yourself with a veteran, but it cannot be a Richard Sherman type because of the amount of money that he's going to make. I do get a lot of questions about Sherman. Unless he's willing to take a very team-friendly deal, that's not in the books. You're looking at someone like a uh, Jason Verrett, someone who's dealt with a lot of injuries early in his career, played pretty well this past season uh, in a scheme similar to what Buffalo runs. Maybe you can get him in for a year or two to compete for that job. Uh, while you while you bring along a rookie, bring along someone that you're not going to put too much pressure, too much on their plate. Uh, AJ Boye is not the player he once was in terms of uh, the money he was making, the contracts that he had. He's going to have a two game suspension at the start of the year, uh, but he has played with the Buffalo's defensive backs coach in in Houston, so there's some familiarity there. Uh, there might be some kind of relationship where where they do have a uh, belief in in his abilities and his play. You're going to find a veteran to bring into the mix just for a body, for a roster spot, someone that can compete. Um, you know, you, you brought up Kevin Johnson. What's really interesting to me with Kevin Johnson, because I liked him too. I thought he played pretty well. I think the Bills didn't have any interest in bringing him back, not vice versa, because if you look at what he signed with, uh, signed for in Cleveland, it, what was it, like a one-year, $3 million, $4 million deal? It wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't crazy money. Uh, it was a lot less than what they paid for Josh Norman. So if they really wanted him back, I feel like they could have brought him back. I feel like the Bills, though, they, there's something to his game where they said he's limited. And, but well, and he is. That, well, not only that, but then I feel like he should have taken a page. If he was going to go anywhere, he should have taken a page. Talk to Jordan Poyer. What he'll tell you is that horrific injuries will happen to you as a defensive back if you go play in Cleveland. I mean, that's what happened to Poyer, and it happened this year to Kevin Johnson. I mean, it was just... You hate to see something like that happen to a guy who played for your team before. Ultimately, I just, to your point, I understand. I think they wanted more, and I think they thought Josh Norman could be a better version of what he was. But at the same time... You can't, it's sort of like when you were talking about Ford playing right tackle. 
Cody Ford spent his rookie season playing 50% of the snaps in rotation with Ty Inseki. You know what happens when you have two right tackles? You have no right tackle. You have none. <laughs> you know what happens when you, as Levi Wallace, spend every year of your pro career splitting snaps with somebody at cornerback two? Your team doesn't have one. And so with that in mind, they got to find an answer, and I don't think free agency is the way to do it. I think that you kind of have to look at the draft, which sucks because I mean, that doesn't suck. If they took a guy early, it might be one of the best things for this team. You come away with a guy like J.C. Horn. If you can come away with a guy who might fall, who has a first-round grade that you can get at 30, that could bear fruit for your team. It could augment your pass rush. It could do a lot of things for you. It could help you hedge your bets against having to make, even if Levi Wallace is a fine player now, he's a restricted free agent this year. I don't know what they're going to do with him. I don't know what tender they're going to place on him. When they do, and that gets settled, next year you're going to have to make an actual commitment to the guy. Wouldn't you like to already have a plan in place for what you're going to do going forward? Yeah, and that's why a rookie would be appealing. Not just that, but again, I'll bring up Trey White's contract. If you can have someone play on a rookie deal that is your long-term answer opposite him, that's really good for your cap. Uh, Short-term, long-term, however you want to look at it, because then when Trey White's deal is coming up, if this other cornerback is the real deal, you can pay him the money, and and it kind of rotates and and keeps the process moving along. Uh, You you kind of said it with with Dane Jackson. He, He had his moments this past year as a rookie, but he also had very limited snap counts. He wasn't out there a lot. So, you know, the interception against the Jets, great. The pass breakup against Hopkins, fantastic. He tackled DK Metcalf immediately on a, a quick screen or a quick pass out to him when he was called into the Seahawks game. He made the most of his opportunities. But he's also limited athletically as well. That's and, why he was a seventh-round draft <laughs> That's why he's a seventh round draft pick. It's why Levi that Wallace was a UDFA. Yeah, and, and Bean came out and said, you know, this guy was a gamer. He, he played better than the metrics, <gasps> better than what we thought, and that's and that's great. And and maybe he will be an outlier, and maybe he would be someone that can uh, break that mold of expectations based on athleticism, based on traits. But you don't want to roll with that and, and depend on that. So whether it's getting a rookie early into the mix to compete, also having a veteran that maybe can start the year in that spot. I'm all for both options, but obviously they're not breaking the bank for any of these cornerbacks that are out there in free agency. Oh, not at all. I mean, if they do, I'll blow, my head will explode. Chris, you won't have a podcast partner anymore. You'll actually have to get Perino in here. That way you two with your both your fancy-ass haircuts can do a podcast together on the side. Oh, yeah. Be Bill, Bill's, uh, Bill's News and uh, Best New Hair Products. <laughs> what pomade are you using? <laughs> the sea salt sprays. <laughs> I, I got to say, Ryan, I do find it funny that there's a guy with the hair Perino has, which Chris repeatedly refers to as... The second best hair in Buffalo media. <laughs> the second best hair in Buffalo media. Behind mine, obviously. And, and he does a podcast with a guy who's bald. I just, I love that dynamic. I feel like it, it really sets you two apart. That's not a diss. That's, that's actually like kudos to you. Like you have, a, you guys have a, such a contrast. I love it. 
We do. You know, high school me though, I went through quite a bit of uh, hair products, gels. I, I had the the spike spiked up hair. It was. Uh, I'm glad I'm I'm past that personally because I, I devoted way too much time to it. So I would much rather <laughs> shave it down, get out the razor once a week, and, and go from there. It, it's just uh, a lot easier for me and uh, time wise. And you know, hey, I'm married. It doesn't matter what I look like anymore. Exactly. Sorry, See, for Chris, it's literally – Chris, it literally is most of his personality. It's just the hair. Most of what he has to offer, point blank and period, is hair. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that dynamic between Drew and myself. I am all looks and no personality. Like, if you expect me to, like, charm my way into a conversation, it's not going to happen. That's what you have to rely on because you're ugly. What? It's the charm and the wit because nobody's going to – nobody's going to – you have to win with char like that's why you like isn't that why you carried around uh, Werther's Originals? Oh, I used to hit on girls at bars with the mini Werther's Originals. Just walk up to a pack of them and just go, "Hey, all eight of you, do you guys want? Can I interest you in a Werther's Original mini?" And you pull the pack out and you slide one out of the little thing, and they go, "I have so many questions." <laughs> And it just starts conversation. Even if it's not starting positive, you have to believe that you can steer it back. Steer it back into the positive category. Positive category. Great jumping off point. Let's quickly talk about safeties because there's really not a lot here to talk about. We have four signed. We have two starters. No cuts. I mean, this has been one of the steadiest parts of this roster going all the way back to the day that McDermott showed up. And I actually credit him with that. This team will go into 2021 maybe for the last time with our stars, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, manning the safety positions, with Jaquan Johnson and Swiss Army Knife Saran Neal rounding out the group. Are you confident, Ryan, that if they stood pat and made no significant efforts at this position, we're still going to be just as fine as we have always have been? Uh, yeah, just because I, I believe enough in Poyer and Hyde, first and foremost... Uh, but, but two, I think that they really like Jaquan Johnson. He, he was kind of lost in the mix last year. He didn't maybe get the opportunities that I was anticipating. Uh, but I, I really do think that they're high on him. They, they feel like he can take over one of those spots long term when the time comes. Saran Neal kind of bounces around that safety cornerback spot. So I wouldn't be shocked if they just signed a Dean Marlowe. Um, and brought him back for, you know, a 15th tour or whatever it would be. <laughs> it feels like, you know, they, they cut really signed practice squad. They did that a lot, at least early on in his tenure. Um, but obviously he was on the main roster. The Dean Marlowe really is year. like the grizzled Vietnam veteran of that group. Like, he has really been through some shit. He's just like, hey, I'm here, I'm not here, I'm cut, I'm on the, ah, I'm unemployed, I'll be back in a week. And then he flies in and he comes off the, t- it's a, I picture him as just a guy who's done so many tours with Sean McDermott that, like, McDermott knows I can rely on that guy. That guy is going to do whatever. No one else is. Maybe another team comes calling, but I think maybe they have, like, a wink and nod agreement. Like, if you're out there, I got you. I got you. I'll get you a job. Yep. And when you think about it, that's not the worst thing in the world. People forget about Dean Marlowe until it's the second half of that. You know, once we, the Bills, pull their starters against Miami on defense. Dean Marlowe almost has a hat trick for interceptions against yeah. Tua Tonga Viola. And, and he was putting licks on players. People forget that he's a physical player who has ball skills. He just gets stuck behind Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde because they're that good. Yeah, and there's a talent drop-off. There's no denying that. But like you said, he's behind two guys that are 
truly Pro Bowl talented type players. I know Poyer hasn't ever been there, but he's which is ridiculous. Which is it absurd. Is. It is. It so shows you how it, stupid the Pro Bowl is. Now, the, the one thing I will say is I would not be shocked if extend Micah Hyde this offseason, add some years on to the contract. There's another way you can free up some money. You can move some money around from uh, 2020, move it to 2021, 2022, spread it out a little bit. And plus, you're keeping a valued member of your defense, someone who has not lost a step, doesn't seem to be losing a step anytime soon, uh, and keep him here a few more years as you're trying to keep the Super Bowl window open. So that's enough that, you know, I know you said you see any other moves that's the only move i could see is you extend the guy you add some years onto that deal you may save some money in the process this is how lazy i am when it comes to safety i didn't even bother looking at the market because here's what i see i see dean marlowe who i i swear to god chris he's gonna it's gonna be training he's not gonna get signed he'll be out there on the street and then they're gonna bring him in for training camp and he's gonna come in it's gonna be like that scene from the hurt locker at the end where he's just the chopper comes in and he's just getting off the end walking out smoking a cigarette with aviators on he's just looking at all the rookies like hey you have no idea yeah i can, i mean i don't know that movie never seen it but i do believe there could be you could see an injury in uh otas or in training camp and then they they make, the, they make the phone call to either him or Bakari Rambo. But here's why. This is what I love about this. The reason I didn't have to look is because our starters are highly skilled. They're durable. And when they've gone down, our head coach has shown that his experience playing safety and coaching. Because I've watched him at training camp coach up the D-backs. You see him constantly talking to the safeties specifically. But it's because that's what he knows. I did your job. I know what this is. I can help hone your skills. I can. Me and my coaching staff are built to help you succeed. Trey Elston, a guy forgotten in the annals of NFL history, was trusted by Sean McDermott as a UDFA rookie to man the single high roll in his very first season when uh, I think Micah Hyde missed a game. And he supplied an interception in the only game he was a starter in. And anytime he was called on until they cut him for other considerations, he was impactful. <laughs> I trust this team to find anybody. They could plug Chris back there. They'd make you cut the hair, but then you'd be, you could probably it's play like fourth string safety for them. Non-starter. With this team's ability to coach them up. So I don't even care about the market. I trust that if they wanted to go bypass the draft, bypass free agency, and just go out there and say, look, we're going to roll with what we have. We're going to bring in some UDFAs to compete or give depth, whatever the case is. I trust them here. I don't think we have to worry about what they do at that position. Linebackers. This is a big one. Currently signed, we have four. We have two starters, 7.9% of our cap, one cut that I know is going to happen. I'm not even going to call it potential. There's got to be some moves here made, Ryan. There's got to be. I mean, what is your feelings? Yeah. What are your feelings on Milano's almost inevitable departure? Well, it, he he was given the same kiss of death as Phillips and, and Shaq Lawson. When Brendan Bean said he's earned the right to test the market, that's pretty much means he's going to cost too much money for us. Uh, so if unless there's not a market out there for him at that 13, 14 million, that I think that's his projection number. Uh, and he says, okay, I'll come back for a one-year $10 million deal. Unless something like that happens, he's not coming back. It's just not in the cards. It just doesn't make sense for him. Uh, or, or the bills and that matters because you're going to be paying uh, Tremaine Edmonds here in the near future. And I know a lot of fans may not want to hear that, but 
you're going to keep the the guy that's 22 over the guy that's going to be what 27, 28, or he is already 27. Uh, long term, one way or the other, I know that Edmonds' play has been up and down, but you're you're going to allocate the money to the young guy that you drafted in the first round of the draft. So then you you do have to think, you know, who who can I have opposite him? And, and right now, you know, it's going to be. AJ Klein and Klein started horrendously this year. He got better as the year went out. He is he is not someone that you want out there playing major snaps by any means. Um, you could have Tyrell Dodson give him a shot. He, he's some opportunities. He's performed well, but there's been injuries there. There's been off the field things early in his career. Obviously, nothing since then. Uh, but there's no reason to believe that he's the answer. Uh, and then, you know, you can bring back a Darren Lee, someone that spent most of the year on the practice squad, at least as a body that can compete for some uh, a role on this team. But there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of questions to be answered. And again, I think the draft is where you have to address this. And we're talking probably in the first three to four picks. Uh, I know that they, they were able to get Milano on day three of the draft in McDermott's first draft, but players like that don't usually fall that late that you can plug in right away uh, and expect them to contribute. Well, he uh, so, didn't really plug in right away. That was actually one of my frustrations no. with Milano's career was we saw him in training camp, and I go, this guy's way better. Why the hell is Ramon Humber out there? And that kind of taught us a valuable lesson about how McDermott grooms his players. It really did because – in the grand scheme of things, he doesn't he doesn't believe any rookie should displace a veteran unless he proves he's worth it. Even if it's a guy he has no affinity for or affiliation with, Ramon Humber. What what did he ever do prior to being here with the Buffalo Bills in that season that warranted him being slotted ahead of a rookie other than his age and his experience? And he said, "Look, until the rookie takes your job, it's yours. Go out there and fight for yeah, it." it- Sean McDermott has a you're right. He has a history of generally playing the rookies when when he feels they're ready or when he feels they're out playing them. Unless it's been a situation where he has no other choice, like a Trey White. Trey yeah. White had to play. Him. There wasn't a cornerback uh, number one or number two for that matter. He was going to be one of those two spots guaranteed. Edmonds needed to play because they needed a linebacker. So th- there are a few cases, but for the most part, they, they do generally sit. So uh, again, this is going to be a combination. You're going to go on the draft. You're going to find someone you hope can be the long-term answer. But I wouldn't be shocked if they go and find a veteran that's going to make it uh, not nearly as much as Milano. And believe it or not, I agree with Pro Football Focus for once in my life. They had Kevin Pierre-Louis, or Louis, I don't know how you say his name, from Washington. Really good in coverage. Uh, actually a former Boston, product, uh, Boston College product just like Milano. Uh, someone that you can plug in for a year or two until a younger player is ready to take over that role. You're not going to break the bank for another linebacker, though, especially with that money that's going to be going Edmonds' way sooner rather than later. Oh, for sure. And Tyler Matakevich, sorry, buddy, you're out. You're, you're In the words of Kenny Powers, you're fucking out. That's it. You're, you're done. You're shot here. I mean, the luxury of $4 million for a linebacker that only plays special teams, I bristled at that last year. I was a little frustrated by that signing. There's no chance we keep him around this year. There's, it, it, you, you can't. It, given where you are cap-wise, it would be a gross—it would be something I would assume the Jets would do. 
or something that I would think. I mean, Chris, who what the Houston Texans? Although Bill O'Brien's not there anymore to screw up their cap situation. I don't know. Some of the worst teams in the NFL would take that as a good value. When you look at the market, there's something funny when you look over this year's linebacker free agent class. I mean, on one hand, you've got some supremely talented 4-3 linebacker talent, one of our own being on the market. And then I see the names Thomas Davis and Sean Lee, and i got to tell you, I forgot they even played in the NFL anymore. They're 38 and 35. I forgot that they existed. Is that the oldest you've heard of an NFL free agent, 38 and 35? What's Frank Gore is it? No, uh, <laughs> that's the thing. They're not uh, they're even. They're older than Frank no, Gore, which is an abomination. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure Thomas Davis though is re- is retiring. I think he did come out and say this past season with Washington was his last. He's just listed there until it's like official. <laughs> I don't know about Sean. I don't know about Sean Lee, but Thomas Davis, you know, uh, what at the height of his game in Carolina, he was a really good player. But obviously, he's he's hung around. I think more so for a veteran presence, a guy that can teach younger players the ropes. Okay, so uh, what's Sean right, Lee doing? Here? See things like that. So what is Sean what's Lee that? doing? What is Sean Lee doing besides just being occupying, injured, occupying space on the IR lists? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's it. His only job in the NFL is to keep people who write the IR and the injury reports busy. That's it. That's all he brings to the table. <laughs> yeah, I feel for the guy. He's he's had quite a history of injuries in his career. You're right. So, you know, I, and, and he might end up retiring, too. I, I truly haven't wasted a ton of time looking at the list because that's just one of those where I, I would be shocked if the Bills splurge, if they let Matt Milano walk and then they spend a lot of money to bring in his replacement. Even if it's at three-fourths of the price of what Milano gets, that would surprise me. They have limited cap space right now, so they have to be smart with how they spend that. They have to find players they're confident in, draft and free agency, mind you, but they can't go out and spend big. And, and, you know, I didn't mention this yet, but maybe in the draft they they do look for the Buffalo nickel. We heard all last year about Kyle Duggar and how the Bills loved the guy, and then he was was off the board well before Buffalo could even draft him. Uh, Up and down year with, with New England. I think he got better as the year went on. But the alternative player in that draft was Jeremy Chin. Uh, the other player that was getting hyped up is that big nickel player and that Bills could bring in. He was outstanding in Carolina. He was probably their best linebacker and possibly their best safety as a rookie. Do you know how uh, so happy find- I was he didn't end up in a Patriots uniform? Because they took, uh, what was it, Kyle Duggar, who was mm-hmm. kind of... People were calling Kyle Duggar a poor man's Jeremy Chin, and I was just like, oh, God, please tell me this isn't true. And it turns out it wasn't. <laughs> it was nothing like – Jeremy Chin was incredible. Yeah, so if they can find someone that fits that mold – and you have to remember, Milano was not a linebacker in college. He, he was kind of – he kind of was a uh, small – you know, a defensive back that moved to linebacker. The Bills could find that uh, – might be a Hampson Nazarildine out of Florida State. There's other guys, too. Hampson's just one of my favorites in this draft class. Uh, probably a day two prospect. Maybe he falls to day three. I'd be surprised at that. But, you know, the draft process is a long It's a long process. There was a time last year when A.J. Appenezza was listed as a top 10, top 15 pick in mock drafts. Now, obviously, you know, knowing what we know now, there's no way that was going to happen. Uh, but you just never know with some of these prospects where they're going to fall, especially right now in March when... Uh, there, there's still a lot of prospects that are going to rise, even though this is not a typical off season in terms of how pro days will be run, how 
Uh, you know, there's not really a true combine. There's going to be a lot of differences, but there's still going to be some risers that surprise people in this draft class and some bigger names that you thought would go early that are going to fall. In terms of free agency, I just think before we move on, if there's a silver lining, there is a lot of young talent who on a short contract could fill the coverage linebacker role and could do so at at least, I'd say, a third to half of the salary Milano would get in the open market. You said it. They would have to cost a fraction of what Milano would. You've got names out there. Avery Williamson from Pittsburgh and in the Jets. I mean, people say it's unclear why he regressed. The dude, distri- the dude got his knee destroyed in a quarter of preseason football that he shouldn't have been on the field. I mean, you talk to Trent Murphy about how he took him a while to get back from his ACL tear. It's the same thing with this guy. People are like, oh, it's only been 10 months. Why aren't you running around tackling people and intercepting passes? Nick Morrow, Eric Wilson, B.J. Goodson, there's names out there on the market. I mean, I think that ultimately there are some things the Bills could do cheaply still to address that while they draft his eventual replacement. Because when you hear one of my favorite things about this staff, Chris, at the draft last year, in the run up to the draft, they're doing interviews with all the coaches and all the play, all the GMs, and they have Sean McDermott, and they have him sat down at a desk and they put a microphone in front of him and they ask him like, "What's the appeal of playing for your Buffalo Bills?" And he said, "You come to Buffalo to be the best version of yourself you can be," and he can say those words without people scoffing at it because he's proven it can be done. Has or has this team not proven itself kind of a haven for players that want to rehab their image? I think they have. I think they absolutely have. And and I know I said that uh, early in the pod that I think they maybe overspent a little bit for a Mario Addison, a little bit for a Quentin Jefferson, more than I, I anticipated either of them making. But I don't think they're in that situation anymore. I think they're in a spot where we were one game away from the Super Bowl. Uh, this is you know this is what Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean can say to these potential players. Look at Daryl Williams. You no, know, we were one game away. Yep. Look, look, look at Daryl Williams. Look at Daryl Williams. He's he, going to make big money. He's going to look make, at Jordan Phillips. Yes. We claimed him off waivers. We signed him to a short one year deal, at, and then he's making ten million dollars. We brought along Shaq Lawson, someone that was drafted by the previous regime. He got better every year in our system. He cashed in, and made ten million dollars. Uh, they can look at their own players like a Matt Milano, day three pick. You can look at a they, – they can point to players on their own roster now. Look at what Gabriel Davis did in year one, fourth-round pick in one of the – you know, and obviously he was a fourth-round pick because it's one of the deepest wide receiver classes in a long time. But he held his own against some of the best wide receivers that came out of that draft class in, in a lot of areas. Um, so they do a really good job finding that talent, uh, molding that talent, and then, let you know, seeing that talent maybe go off somewhere else and make big money. But at the same time, Trey White's getting big money in Buffalo. Yep. Deion Dawkins is getting big money. Josh Allen's going to make big money. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is going to make big money. So they'll even tell the players, listen, you can come here. You can uh, not just re- repair your value and your market with us for one year. We might end up wanting you back long term if you can show us that you are someone that fits into our system uh, and can be an asset to our team for the foreseeable future. 100%. And I think that that underscores that while we're unlikely to get better going out to market, specifically a linebacker, our staff has a, they have a way 
of doing things that they're going to find somebody who wants to take that job. To There's an appeal to the Buffalo Bills that didn't exist in years past. And I think that this is a position that they could use that to their advantage. And also, you have a coaching staff that's been together for long enough and is tenured enough with the former defensive coordinator head coach, a good defensive coordinator who was being talked about. He was getting head coach interviews. They can conspire to do things a little differently if they can't bring back a guy Matt Milano's talent level. They can still figure out other ways to get things done. I still think they'll be able to steady the ship, and I'm interested to see how they attack that problem. Special teams is the last one here we'll talk about, and it's quick. I mean, we have two guys, two starters. It's funny, $1.4 million on the cap, which is 27th in the NFL. You have a stud rookie kicker and one of the NFL's nicest players in Reed Ferguson. (laughs) And and yet they're 27th in the NFL in having those two pieces. Now, I already know there's a contingent of Bills fans who hear this and say 1%. that's That's a pittance. Imagine that we're still at the bottom of the league in terms of spending on those three specialist positions. Punter, kicker, long snapper. The glaring vacancy here is punter, and I would argue that you kind of have to bring back Corey Bohorquez. Here's why. I, when I called punter a sneaky need earlier in this offseason process when we were talking on this podcast and that Bojo's performance could net him a payday, the Bills need to be the team that gives him that contract. I mean, first of all, somewhere Kevin Massari is rolling over in his grave hearing me praise <laughs> Hearing these words leave my mouth. Kevin Massari, like... It's almost like he got a stabbing pain in his side. He's like, what happened? Oh, God, someone must be praising him somewhere. The market is shot for punting talent. Dustin Colquitt is maybe the most accomplished guy on the market, and he's going to be 40 when the season starts. Jordan Berry's the next guy up, and he's 30, and he's already expected to just re-sign with Pittsburgh. There's going to be three punters on the open market that come week one are under the age of 30. That's it. And out of those three young punters, only one of them is going to have experience as being, what, having the uh, yards per punt, being number one in the NFL in 2020, and also having taken a stepbrothers-themed Christmas card photo with our long snapper, Reed Ferguson, (laughs) and that's Corey Bohorquez. You have to bring that guy back. Do you agree with me or disagree with me? No, I, I agree. I, he's going to come back. And, it, and it, you're not going to break the bank on a Corey Bohorquez. It might be a three-year, 3.5, 3. 3.7. I, I don't think he's going to break the bank. I've seen some people say maybe two. I'm like, I don't even see that. I'm saying one, maybe 1.5 one at the most, 1.6. Uh, I think you, you can spare that, especially for a guy that's gotten better every year, had his best year yet. Uh, obviously didn't have to do a lot this year with the way the offense was, was moving the ball up and down the field. but well, He almost didn't qualify better. for stats. He almost didn't yeah. get to punt enough to qualify for fucking stats. Oh, how awesome is it to know that we have a team that's capable of something like that, Chris? What's it's the, amazing. Did you ever think that that was going to be possible heading into the 2020 season? No. Hey, guess what? Our punter, he's going to be voted laziest guy on the team because he never has to do anything. We thought Reed held that title. I mean, Reed only touches the ball six times a game. Yeah. That's it. He touches the ball six times a game. But Horquez actually spent less time on the field than Reed. That's hilarious. 
it's, it's wild. So, you know, they're, they're set there at the core positions. They invested a lot of money, though, in special teams last year. You mentioned Matikevich, and, and you can save a lot of money letting him go. Taiwan Jones comes off the books because that was a one-year deal. Um, so they, they did go out. They addressed it. The special teams did play better. But now you also have to look at who are some of these younger players on our current roster that can step up and, and fill in some of those roles that's not going to cost us $3 million, $2 million. Uh, and, and maybe it's an Antonio Williams can take one of those spots. Uh, you know, Buffalo's third running back undrafted out of North Carolina played really well against Miami as a running back. But he was also North Carolina's special teams MVP as a, as a senior. So he has that background. He's not one of those backs that doesn't bring anything from the special team standpoint. He can handle a role on special teams. Um, it, it's why a guy like Daryl Johnson could still stick around even if the Bills do go out and address edge rusher in free agency or, or draft someone in the middle, middle rounds, later rounds, uh, because he is a special team standout. You want those younger guys that aren't breaking the bank but can be assets for your team. Every now and I'll then, tell you where else Daryl Johnson is. I'll tell you where else Daryl Johnson is a standout at Men's Warehouse when he tries to buy fitted shirts with his <laughs> fucking ridiculous seven foot wingspan. Get out of here, dude. There's no way. Oh. <laughs> we call him the pterodactyl in these parts. It's 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 freakish when you see it in person. It really is. Oh, I believe it. But, you know, it, every now and then you do have to overspend, bring in some guys that can help the, the unit itself. You have a, you had a young special teams coordinator here in Buffalo, uh, obviously, you know, played a lot in, in that role in the NFL. But coaching, it's a different beast. So you bring in some veterans that can write the ship quickly. But now it's up to the coaching staff and it's up to those younger players to now say, okay, we know what our responsibilities are. We know what we can do to, to make this unit just as good as it was one year ago. Well, before we let you go, this has been a great conversation, but I don't want to take up your entire night because you have kids, you have a family, you have a life. You have things going on besides talking to me, drinking whiskey, talking about football. Well, I have one question. Yeah. Because to keep it relevant, because it's come down within the last hour, Ryan Talbot, based on fit, based on price, the Jets released defensive line Henry Anderson. Is he a fit and... Are we in his price range? I'm going to hope no and no. Uh, Um, I I know the fan base would hate the move, and I know that's not a reason not to sign a guy. Oh, it absolutely is. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, you you, you have a salient point. I'm sure I'm going to let you deliver it. I'm sorry. Oh, no. He ruined uh, Hauschka's career a few years ago with that cheap shot. He's been like public enemy number one anytime that the Bills and the Jets have played over the last few years. Because right now there's not much to, to talk about with that rivalry, so it's just like we got to find someone that we hate. Uh, I, I don't see him being a fan. I think he, you know, he got paid way more than he should have with that previous regime in New York. What was it like eight million dollars he was going to make this year? Yeah, uh, um, it, it was a it was a high high figure there. Uh, it, it, if the price is right, anyone can can make sense for this team. But the, the Bills aren't going to go out and, and make a signing like that unless it's for a very team-friendly deal. I just don't see him being a, a fit for this team. But stranger things have happened. I mean, we have Brian Cox Jr. on this roster this past year uh, after having, you know, the, the dad in Miami all those years. That, you're uh, you're laughing because you're watching me just lose my mind. The, yep. We already have one. Okay, when Brian Cox flipped off the Bills fans coming out of the tunnel, I remember asking my father as a kid, 
Can't they arrest him for that? Why isn't he in jail? And then they won the game. Miami beat us that game. And I spent the like an hour just in my room punching a pillow. Just out of frustration. Because I'm like, he's a dirtbag. Why does he get to win? Henry Anderson is the same thing. I'm going to open a beer as I say this. If we're signing Henry Anderson, it better be only to sucker him in so I can Nancy Kerrigan him at the airport. <laughs> like, that's it. I'll, I'll go. I, I have no shame in saying so. Oh, man. That's it. He, he crossed the line. There's no going back from it. <sighs> All right. I'm calm. We, we, we've stopped talking about Brian Cox and Henry Anderson. As we let you go, sir, who are some of the targets that you like for the Buffalo Bills this year in this free agency period? Well, uh, again, it's it's tough because it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a very underwhelming class for the Bills, except for the edge position. I think they they might spend a little bit more. I think there's one player that you can go out and maybe spend ten plus million on based on their certain uh, their current salary cap. So that's the area where again, Carl Lawson's been my number one guy. I, I've liked him a lot for. I uh, go back to radio appearances over the last two months, maybe, and I, I've mentioned his name quite a bit. I like him a lot for this team. I've mentioned Aquara, but you're right. There's some risk involved there. So get one of these younger players that has the upside that can come in, can take over that Mario Addison role. Uh, you know, no offense to Mario Addison, but it should be a one and done situation based on his play. Lowest number of sacks, quarterback hits, r- pressures in a long time uh, this past season. Uh, AJ Epineza did flash at times. You, you know, the other thing I'm, I'm going to say to defend the guy is they they pretty much drafted him and told him you have to drop considerable weight uh, based on what we want you to be and play in, and he did that. And then as the year went on, you did see a little bit more out of him in terms of uh, burst, in terms of getting after the quarterback. So I'm excited to see what year two brings there. I, I know this is kind of copping out on your question, but the biggest thing the Bills need is they need their own guys to develop, to take that next step. If they if that happens, this team will be just as successful as they were one year ago. They can be in the AFC championship picture. They need Gabriel Davis to to take another little step. Now, mind you, he was outstanding as a rookie, but just move a little bit further ahead because there's a good chance that John Brown's either not here or he's another one of those guys that you're going to cut and try to bring back at a smaller figure. And even if that is the case, you're still want to want to give Gabriel Davis more opportunities. No matter what they do at tight end, whether they bring in a, a veteran that can actually uh, be like part of a 12 personnel with Dawson Knox, you need Dawson Knox to take a considerable leap. You need Ed Oliver to take a considerable leap. Uh, you, you can go across the board to a lot of these positions, and you need that. That's more important than any free agency move that I think the Bills can make, minus an edge rusher. Uh, because there's going to be veterans at linebacker. There's going to be a cornerback probably brought in, but you're not breaking the bank on those guys. You're not breaking the bank most likely on a wide receiver if John Brown goes. Um, You know, I see John Ross mentioned a lot as an option at wide receiver. Listen, the guy has speed for days, but he he also really isn't a wide receiver. So is that someone you really want to bring in? Uh, There's issues with that. You can bring in a Kenny Stills because he's been in the system, but there's there's an injury history there. You're not going to bring in a superstar unless there's a player that sits on the market for a longer period than expected and said, says, okay, I'll sign a one-year contract with Buffalo because I saw that they throw on early downs a lot. I know that Josh Allen can get me the ball. I know that I can reset my market. That's the only way the Bills could maybe make a splashier move at the position. 
what a what, what rarefied air we live in. <laughs> We're talking about people rehabbing their image coming to play for the Buffalo Bills. It's amazing. We appreciate you joining us tonight and just having this entire conversation. I think it's been incredibly informative. Hopefully our listeners found it entertaining. I mean, I you, <laughs> you're much more polished than I am. I say some things I maybe shouldn't. <laughs> I, I word some things in ways maybe I shouldn't. Why don't you tell people where they can find more of your content and what you guys have coming up over on Shout? Yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. You can find me at NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, and you can find the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Uh, we broadcast live, so we're streaming on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope. Uh, but then, obviously, post-podcast, it's also uploaded on all the major podcast platforms, so you can subscribe, rate, and review to any of those. Uh, this week we have a big Rochester show. We have TV personalities, radio personalities, uh, beat reporters coming on the show. We have a big show on Saturday uh, with with a player that has not yet been announced, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I think that'll be a, a fun one for fans to tune into, so keep an eye out for that one as well. Ryan Talbot, you can go find him on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. It's a great free agency talk, and now this is this is the part of the show that I don't like because <laughs> this is like where I have to start time stamping because you're going to go through the players that you like in free agency on the defensive side of the ball, and you hit on Zach Brown years ago. You hit on Ty and Secchi. Like this is the thing that like. Even A.J. Klein. Even A.J. Klein, a guy I called for the Bills previously and then we signed him not. Yeah, in his first free agency go-around, I think in 16, you asked for the Bills to sign him. and He didn't. He signed with the Saints. And then we got him. We got him last year. Like, this is the part. This is the part of the show where I do not like using your name and the words good at. In the same sentence, you are good at projecting free agents to come to Buffalo. Well, but you might hit on something here, so I got to timestamp all of this crap. It sucks. Here's what it comes down to for you, Chris. I don't know anything that anybody else doesn't. It's just that I do a ridiculous amount of research. You heard Talbot talk about the chart that I made. I know you laugh at him. It's, this is what I do. This is how I deal with football. When I look at the market, here's what I see. There's two names. He touched on one of them, Carl Lawson, and also Yannick Ngakwe. Now, those seem like, oh, yeah, you did low-hanging fruit. Yeah? Well, how about this? It comes with the caveat that if you were part of the group that believed the Buffalo Bills are and should have been on J.J. Watt, hey, we should have landed him. We should have done whatever it took and have no problem paying 10 to $12 million a year, then there's no reason you should balk at the idea of Buffalo signing Lawson or Ngakwe instead. Lawson was second in quarterback hits last season on a shitty defensive line. He's been around the tops in that category since he got drafted, despite missing time with a pair of injuries. On bad defenses, he's been supremely disruptive on a defensive line with lackluster interior line play. He could make that jump from good to elite if he was surrounded by a few more competent players and Buffalo could offer him that. 
And then remember when I brought up that snaps per disruptive play metric? Yeah. Lawson played the most snaps at 4-3 defensive end out of most of the guys who are going out into the free agency pool. And yet had one of the lowest numbers at one disruptive play every 13 and a half snaps. Hendrickson scored better, but as we discussed, that's kind of buoyed by his ridiculous sack total. Lawson actually got 11 more pressures than Hendrickson and yet only converted half of those into sacks because that's, I mean, that, that, that's realistically how you should fall. It's <laughs> what Hendrickson did, I think, is a statistical outlier. And Gakwe was on every Bills fan. Do you remember those days when every Bills fan was out there last season going, oh, if we could just get our hands on Yannick and Gakwe. Yeah, and trade then, for him. And then Minnesota signed him. And then realized that their season was dog shit and traded him. Traded him. Done. Boop. Hey, you, we signed you to a big deal for a year. Or no, we, no, they traded for him after the franchise tag. Yeah, and then they, tra- they oh, trade him to the Ravens. And then they traded him to the Ravens. That makes this even more hilarious. When he was miscast in Baltimore, I mean, when you go back to my chart, Chris, and you look at where Yannick Ngakwe falls. He was one of the higher-paid defensive ends outside linebackers on there. He played 31% and 33% of available snaps for each team, which is interesting because that means that neither team really featured him as a defensive end. They kind of used him almost, almost as kind of like a, hey, you're a pass rush specialist, which seems crazy to me. But I get it. If you're Baltimore, you have Matt Judon, you have McPhee, you have guys who are there. You just brought in Ngakwe to kind of add a spark to your defense. And despite playing that few number of snaps, I mean, he played 310 for one team and 348 for the other. He had eight sacks and 26 pressures. That's pretty good. He did pretty well for himself in that regard. I mean, he's one of the last older players. I mean, he's only 26. He made an impact play every 16 snaps. He's a guy who, when you look at these two, I mean, (laughs) he had a down year by his own standards with eight sacks. Isn't that something you would chase if you could? Yeah, if you were to, uh, if I had to choose Carl Lawson. For him to be, for Yannick Ngakwe to play more snaps than fewer for your football team, wouldn't you take that knowing what he does on a snap-by-snap basis? Yeah, it would. And if you were gun to the head, I had to have either one. Give me Carl Lawson because uh, he's from because he's from Alpharetta, Georgia. I lived in Alpharetta, and where did he go to college? He went to Auburn. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love how you don't even respect it enough to yell War Eagle. No, thank you. You know, I hate you. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. Assigning like either one of these two guys would give you an immediate impact while simultaneously allowing you to phase out your aging veterans. You could get rid of Mario Addison if you were bringing in a Ngakwe or a Lawson. You could get rid of that guy along with a Jefferson, along with a Butler, and it wouldn't matter. Because you're augmenting your pass rush with with guys who have proven they can do it, proven they're durable, proven that even after injuries, they can come back and be effective. I mean, the logic I'm applying to this doesn't seem that flawed, does it, Chris? No. 
And then there's an under-the-radar guy at defensive end. And I, I'm sticking with this because, as Ryan and I talked about, this is where we expect the team to be the most active. Morgan Fox. Remember that mid-tier of non-starting defensive ends I was talking about, Chris? That could come on short-term deals at a cost that would likely be favorable to the team, but they'd still yield good production. I was literally describing 27-year-old Morgan Fox to a T. As a former UDFA... Fox played for the Rams for the last few years. And while playing on a defensive line with Aaron Donald, that's going to make a lot of guys look good. Fox was, by Donald's own admission, the most impactful player on the defensive line aside from him. Donald declared him a two-phase guy in that he's good both versus the run and at providing pass rush and spoke glowingly of the, of the, the kid's work ethic which I think would play well with our coaching staff. And then, how about this? Consider his six sacks and eight tackles for loss in 2020 came with him only having two starts, and he only played 39% of the team's total snaps. Okay? He's one of those guys that falls into the category when I'm looking at the numbers of conversion of snaps to quality play. He screams to me. As a guy who could be a solid, young piece of a defensive end rotation that needs just a little more, he needs just a little more playing time and could find himself as a potential, quote-unquote, future at the position as we transition away from guys over the age of 30. He's the perfect candidate for what Ryan and I were talking about. A one- or two-year deal. Hey, you played in the shadow of some guys like Aaron Donald. Do you want to prove that you weren't just an outlier? Sign here for $2 million, $3 million, $4 million. It's still a giant raise from what you as an undrafted free agent rookie were making on your undrafted free agent rookie contract. We are going to sign you to a two-year deal or a one-year deal at $2, 3000000 million. To allow you to prove that you are who you think you are and who we think you could be. What the statistics say you could be. And then you go back out like Daryl Williams. Hey, you're back on the market. Now it's up to everybody to decide what you are. Players like to bet on themselves, don't they? Always. Okay. He's a candidate to accept a shorter term deal. Term deal maybe two years, three, four, five million. With that playing time, like, hey, I'm not going to be relegated to being a backup at 39% of all snaps, even though he played all 16 games. I just think he's a perfect candidate for what the Bills are looking for. And then at the linebacker department, I kind of scoffed at this idea that there was when Ryan was talking about how there's nobody out there in free agency. Nick Morrow. Nick Morrow of the Raiders. This guy spent last year playing on a second-round tender in Vegas, underscoring what that team thought of him. Chris, you don't put a second-round tender on a guy unless you don't want teams to trade for him, right? Sounds about right. He was an undrafted free agent who they slapped the second-round tender on because they were like, you're not going anywhere. We, We want you here. He's a solid coverage linebacker. 4.5 yards per target last year was only behind Levante David and Roquan Smith, who are two of the NFL's best linebackers. And he had an 86 QBR when targeted, which is pretty good. Who also doesn't miss many tackles. His 8.2% missed tackle rate in 2020, down from his 12% the previous year, 
is would would have fit in amongst some of the best on this Bills team. Remember we talked about how AJ Klein couldn't cover? Correct. <laughs> couldn't cover worth a damn in space to start this season. Nick Morrow has that. He would seem to be a natural fit for the weak side linebacker role in our 4-3 defense. He started six games, played 60% of all snaps while missing a few games last season. The first games he's missed in his whole career, so he's durable. But he was stuck behind Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski of the Raiders, who they brought in as undrafted free, uh, undrafted free agent. Jesus Christ, I keep saying it. Every time I see the U, I think undrafted free agent. They went out in free agency and signed Corey Littleton and signed Nick Kwiatkowski. They brought them in specifically to make their linebacker core better. So even after they signed two guys, they liked Morrow so much, they put a second-round tender on him because they knew they needed him for passing situations. That tells you how important he was to their plans. He could do a lot of the things that Milano does in coverage without sacrificing a ton in run stoppage, and his eight pressures and three sacks indicate that he can also be used, kind of like Milano was, to bring pressure on delayed blitzes and off-ball blitzes. I like that. He's a name that isn't getting a lot of national recognition, which I just read an article, something he's admitted he and his agent are painfully aware of, that nobody's aware of who he is. Teams aren't aware of who he is. And that is something the Bills could utilize to their advantage. If Buffalo can't bring Milano back, Morrow could, kind of like Daryl Williams or how they got Vernon Butler to sign here in 2020. Bring him in on a short-term, one-year, two-year deal, team-friendly, or at least a deal that's a third to a half of what Milano's going to get, in an attempt to rehab his national recognition and then still, while he's young, go back out to the market and hit free agency again to cash in. Playing for a contender, a team that could go win a Super Bowl. How crazy is that? That we're even having this conversation, but Nick Morrow, to me, makes a lot of sense for the Buffalo Bills. I hope we sign none of these people, just so you're wrong. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> I don't want to give you recognition for your the research that you put in. Huge shout-out to Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate for joining us. Chris, this is fun. I like the fact that we do this every year, but we got to get the fuck out of here. So we'll have the other half a shout on. Next week, maybe the week after, which he's going to be doing the offensive side of the ball in which Vikings release Kyle Rudolph, so that's going to be something. It's maybe. coming. All it's, the cuts are coming. It's already on Twitter. Oh, perfect. Perfect mentor for Knox and Sweeney, and it's already on Twitter. I want to try to convince, at this point, Chris, you know what I think of him. Yeah, I called him a transformer whose hands turn into Teflon pot. <laughs> They, they turn into Teflon-coated pans whenever you throw them the football. I think that his best, I think that the team's best thing to do with Knox, if we're already teasing how I'm going to approach the offensive uh, free agency thing, I think that we try to convince him, that a lot like Luke Skywalker, that there's, there's somebody out there in the Dagobah system, who can teach you how to be a good tight end. You just got to get into this spaceship and go find him. And we send him off there, neither of which exists. It's not actually a spaceship. It's just a shuttle that drives him to the Grand Canyon and leaves him there to die. I'm just saying. We could, we, we, but I digress. I'm going to save a lot of my diatribes for 
when we have Matt Perino as we describe the offensive side of the ball. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Greer. That was Ryan Talbot. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.